So, if we take 1 John right here, and we look at it for face value, you know, especially in 6, in verse 6, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. If we take that scripture for face value and just look at it, just read it for what it is, you know, you think to yourself, what are we going to do? You know, it's kind of like being in a relationship. When me and Megan got together, you know, she just took me for face value. I mean, come on, look at me. <laughs> Man, I'm six foot, 180 pounds, good looking guy, you know. And Megan, some of y'all get that later. You know, if Megan just took me for face value and saw that, you know, she didn't really get to know what was going on with me, didn't realize how weird I really was, then, you know, it wouldn't have worked out. Here in the Scripture, that's what we have to do. We look at things for face value, what they are, and then we have to dig into the context, into the meaning, and see what's going on. And that's what we need to do here. We start today with a little background. John is writing this letter to house churches that have come under attack. These people have risen up and have denounced who Jesus is. John refers to them as the Antichrist. John is writing this letter for encouragement. In this letter, John is giving the church the basic gospel principles to encourage them. That no matter what adversity comes, they can stand on the truth of the gospel. Right. Now John encourages the church... And several things in 1 John, he encourages them to walk in the light of the gospel and not to walk in the darkness. He encourages the church to confess their sins to God. He encourages the church to stand on the truth of God's word and keep it. He teaches them on how to love their fellow believers and not how to love the world. Today we're going to look at another truth that John pins out here in chapter 3. That the people who claim to know God should take what is written here and use it to take it and look at our own lives. We should take the examples that are here in this scripture and focus inwardly on ourselves to see what's there. 1 John 1, 3, it says this. What kind of love, see what kind of love the Father has given us that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. We'll, st we'll stop there for a second. What kind of love is this? What kind of love does the Father have for us? You know, have you ever seen those, um, you know, those cheesy romance movies? Um, what's that? What's that? Lifetime? You know, I don't ever watch that. Which I don't understand the Lifetime channel, okay? You know, you watch these movies about love, and then next thing you know, the next three hours, you're binge watching Snapped. So, if anyone's ever seen that show, that's where the women might go off and might, you know, stab their husbands. So, they go and watch these love movies, and then the next thing you know, they're watching Snap. It just kind of throws off some weird vibes to me. Megan, please don't be taking notes. Um, but you know those movies, like this girl, she's like, she's dating this guy, and you can know at the beginning, like, this ain't the guy for her. And she's like some hotshot attorney from the city, and then she goes in and, like, meets this uh, small town guy that she went to high school with, and now he's a lumberjack. And, <laughs> see, y'all know the movies I'm talking about. It's terrible. You know, they're like, we got to save the town. This fair's coming up, and, you know, you're a big hot shot attorney, and, and they're trying to shut us down. And she's like, I won't stand for it. You know, and he's like, you know, I'm a lumberjack, and I chop wood. And she's like, I love you. <laughs> That's how those work. She leaves her boyfriend in the city, who's probably an attorney, too, 
who's got tons of money, leaves him and goes and marries one. That's not real. I mean, let's just be honest. That's not real at all. That's not real love. Because love in those movies is, is, is fleeting. Love in those movies, you know, it changes over time. But I'm here to tell you today, God's love does not change. That's right. The love that the Father has for us is not changing. The love that the Father has for us is not failing. The love that we have changes. The love that we see, you know, this is the be best thing ever, you know. I'm sure before we, I'm sure we've loved a hundred people in our lives and we don't even talk to anymore. But God's love is not changing. The Word says that His love is given to us. It is something, it's not something that we've worked for or even deserved. His love is based on His character and not ours. That's right. It's based on His character. Because if it was based on us, on our character, we, would, we wouldn't be able to receive His love. Because our love changes. God's love is eternal. That's the love that has been given to us. That we should be called the children of God. Amen. Let that sink in for a second. The Father loves you so much. He gave this love to you that you now are adopted as His children. He sent His Son as a substitution for us. A wretched sinners like us. The Bible says we have we've all sinned. The Bible says we are all set apart from God because of that sin in our lives. We were enemies of God, but through His love of His in His Son, He set us free from that. Amen. He loves us Amen. until we get a grip and see who tr Jesus truly is. We will never understand His kind of love. The love He has for us does not change. The love that we, the closest thing I can think of as an earthly realm of love is the love I have for my kids. You know, I love them boys. They are a handful. Okay, if you've ever worked nursery, you understand. <laughs> Poor Miss Sherry, she came to me, she's like, oh, you're going to be done earlier because I got your kids today. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You know, that's the kind of love I can, I can, you know, I can kind of throw out there. It kind of gives an example. But the love that God has for us exceeds that abundantly. Mm -hmm. We cannot fathom what we, how much God loves us. There is no sin that I can commit as a believer that God's love will change for me. Every sin I have committed and every sin I will commit has been done away with by the blood of Jesus Christ. John 15, 9, Jesus says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Amen. The same love the Father has for me, I have for you. God, that's powerful stuff. Mm -hmm. God, that's stuff that we, we can't wrap our minds around of. If we really, truly seen how much God really, truly loves us, then we would, you know, we would be falling on the floor in praise and worship at all times. We would just be a mess. He loves us so much that we're now called the children of God. In verses 1 and 2, he makes that statement three times to that we are believers are the children of God. We are the children of God, and so we are. Then we are the children. I mean, he repeats it three times. And, and those, in those times, in those reputations, repeating something three different times means, means that it's very important. 
And so he's letting the, he's letting the church there know that this is important. That we need to see that we are the children of God. Because these people have come in. They're trying to deceive them. They're trying to say that Jesus ain't who he says he is. You know, he, you know we can just do whatever we want to. Let's just you know, throw all this stuff, this church stuff away. And he's like, no, we are children of God. And we don't act that way. You know, have your children ever done anything to embarrass you? Oh, yes. My son, kindergarten, pulled the fire alarm to school. Great time. Great time. Oh, yes, I have. Um, you know, boys, I don't know how many people here have raised boys, but, you know, they do something outside all the time. And um, if you know what I'm talking about, they can do it anywhere. And we was at Oxford Lake one time in front of tons of people. My son said, hey, i got to go to the street. And so that's embarrassing, you know. Right there in front of everybody who's out there trying to take senior pictures, and there's my son. Okay, great. Uh, that was embarrassing to me. Have your kids ever done anything to disappoint you? Yeah. Yeah, son making bad grades or talking back to the teacher or something in school. You know, I'm sure I did things to disappoint my parents. I'm sure I did a lot of things to embarrass my parents. You know, but through all that, did I ever, did I ever change how you love them? No. You're going to love your kids. Because says the Father loves us. The love for you have your children, like I said, is only fails in comparison. The holy, perfect, righteous God that created us, we, re we rebelled against His design, rightfully and justly should, should be poor, His wrath should be poured out upon us. But because we were His enemies. But in John 3, 16, it says, but He loved the world, mankind, <clears throat> That he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That was the love that God displayed. Because of this love, what should we do in response? In verses 2 and 3, in response to this kind of love, it should motivate us to live more like him. Verses 2 and 3 says, Beloved, now we are God's children. And what he has, he has been has not yet appeared. But when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who does hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Purifying yourself is a process. Jesus, he's the finished work. He's the finished product. He is the one that we're all striving to be like. So what we need, the way we need to live needs to reflect Him. The process of purifying is a process that removes unwanted contaminants from your finished project, from your finished product. This is the way that the Christian should be living until the day we are glorified with Him. We should be imitating Christ. Is what we should be doing. We should be living like Christ. We should be motivating ourselves to be pure as He is pure. Or some of your translations say, be righteous as He is righteous. That it is a process. It is not something that is going to happen overnight. I can promise you that. It is not something that happens overnight. It is a process that you will continue to do the rest of your life. Now, <clears throat> back to kids for a second. You know, my kids have this... Um, I have this thing that they do, and it, you know, I don't know where they learned it from, but I just think it's just from kids, it's just kids being kids. They, um, they copy me a lot, right? 
They, they, do, they say the things I say and do some of the things that I do, which is not always a good thing, okay? I'm just going to throw that out there. It's not always a good thing. Like, like I introduced the kids um, not too long ago to wrestling, and, you know, I mean, old school wrestling, not the stuff that that's out there now. You know, like the good stuff. You know, Sting, Ultimate Warrior, Hulk Hogan, anybody? Am I the only one to watch this wrestling in here? Thanks for that. Oh, man, that's, that's what I'm talking about. Um, you know, the good stuff like that. And we was watching stuff, and I told Ben one day, I was like, Ben, I'm going to body slam you, ha, 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 you know, just laughing, whatever. And then I'm just sitting there. Later on, I hear him talking to his brother. He's like, brother, I'm going to body slam you. Raw, you know, I'm just like, hey, whoa, 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 we can't body slam our brothers. He's like, uh, well, you said you should go body slam me. I was like, yeah. But then I'm thinking, then in my mind, I'm like, yeah, but then you're going to go to school and tell your teacher you're going to body slam her, and then this is going to get bad. <laughs> this is going to spiral out of control, and I'm sitting in the principal's office like, I don't know what happened. I'm sorry. <laughs> my wife is going to be sitting there like, this is embarrassing, okay? You have embarrassed me by teaching our kids these wrestling moves. And Ben's going Ben's to jump off and do a leg drop on the table with some kid in the school. And it's not going to be my fault. I understand. I get it. It's going to be my fault. It's fine. But you know, my kids are imitating me because I am the father. To my kids, for some reason, for some reason, you know, I'm, I'm like their hero. They like love wrestling with me, fighting with me, poking at me and stuff. But they're imitating me because I'm their father. How much so as we as Christians are to imitate the Father? How much so are we supposed to be copying and doing the things that our Father does? Is it going to be an easy process? No. But it's a thing that we're striving for, that we're pushing for every single day. The point of our lives is to point to Him and be like Him and be molded by Him and be sculpted by Him is what we're supposed to do. But so many times we have, like this church here, has come under attack and we have been deceived by the world. To believe in that, you know, being like Jesus is not the thing to do. I heard a preacher said, because if we were really like Jesus, they'd want to kill us. Just like they did him. There's so much stuff that's going on in this world today. There's so much pain, so much misery, so much adversity. And so much stuff that is pulling the attention away. Pulling the desire away from Christianity. The world today says this book is outdated. The world today says this book is not progressive enough. And it doesn't tackle the real issues of the day. I'm going to tell you, my, my uncle used to tell me that this book is more updated than tomorrow's newspaper. You know this book, what's happened is that we've turned away from, from the guy. And that we want to guide ourselves. And that we want to guard ourselves and do what we're supposed to do. And just kind of act the way we're supposed to act. Because that's what the world tells us to do. And we're not doing what God is telling us to do. Because we're not following the man. We're letting the world decide and tell us what we need to do. And how we need to act as Christians. And in 1 John it says, don't love the world. Don't be conformed to the world. And yet we have fallen into that trap. We have been deceived by what the world thinks is good for us and not what God thinks is good for us. That's what's happening. Just as my children imitate me, 
As I am the example, how much more shall we imitate Christ, who is the perfect example? That brings us to our next point. Who do you belong to? Who do you belong to? Verse 4. Anyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. The people who John is calling the Antichrist are under the assumption that Jesus is not God. And they believe that sinning is an okay thing to do. John is reaffirming to the churches that the practice of sinning is lawlessness. So if we are to be imitators of Christ, we are to practice righteousness. So what does it mean here in these few verses? To keep on sinning. What does that mean? So is there anyone, you know, in here today who doesn't have sin in their life? Is there anybody in here today that doesn't have Justin, put your hand up. Anybody today that doesn't have sin in their life? You know? Everybody in here has sin in their life. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Isaiah 59 2 says our sins have us separated from God. We are born sinners. We have inherited the sins of Adam. We are sinners. So if we take verse 6 for face value, like I said before, what are we doing? What do we do with it? We're all sinners. So what do we do with this verse? How do we map through this? Well, if you look down. Let's read verse 8. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. The Greek word is prosos. I might mess that up, man. I'm sorry. I know you're, you know, perfect. Anyways, uh, <laughs> the Greek word prosos, uh, which is where we get the word practice from. Practice means to perform something habitually or regularly. Habitual means that you do something so much, it becomes second nature to you. That's what he's talking about here. It is the practice of sinning. What does that mean? What does that look like to practice sin? Because we all sin. Is he saying that the Christian should be without sin? No. We all have that nature in our lives. That struggle, that, that as Paul calls that thorn in the, in the, in the flesh. That just, you know, it's just a battle. Every day is a constant battle that we go through. And we're trying to strive to be like Christ, to be imitators of Him, to live righteous as He is righteous. But, you know, it's just that, it's that struggle is always there. It's always a give and take through all that. So we know we have that going on in our lives. So how can we live, like, since we have sin in our lives, how can this work out for us? Verses 8 through 10, like I said, whoever makes a practice of sin is, is of the devil. I'm just going to read this whole verse and let, these, let this speak to you for a second. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Amen. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning 
because he's been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. If you're making a practice of your sins, if you just your whole life is defined by sin, you're not convicted of your sins. You don't confess them to God. You don't repent. You don't turn away from them. That's the process of not being of practicing of practicing sin. You practice in your life. You don't care anymore. You just sin. I don't care what the Word of God says. I don't care how I should be living my life. I'm not practicing righteousness. I'm not trying to intimidate Christ. I don't care. I'm just going to sin and live my life. That's what these people were doing, these antichrist people. They were saying, hey, just sin. It's fine. Just forget it. And John's like, no, that's not fine. That's lawlessness. I had you said, if you're going to live a life like that, if you're just going to be defined by sin and don't care, don't confess, not convicted, not let God um, change your heart and your mind and keep pushing towards being like Jesus, then you're a child of the devil. So what he's saying. Like the Antichrist, we're here in this book, a lot of people make excuses to continue to sin. Someone who practices sin has no regard for the laws of God. A child of God practices righteousness because he is righteous. So what does a life of righteousness look like? Well, in Galatians chapter 5, Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 24. But the fruit of the Spirit, which is the fruits of the Spirit, give off um, spirits of a person, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against these such things is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh and the passions and the desires. That's what a life of righteousness is like. Someone who is peaceful. Someone who is... Um, Joyous, someone who is um, patient, someone who's kind. I mean, you're not going to be all these things all the time, but that's what you're striving to be every single day, which are the attributes of Christ. Love. So what does it look like someone who has a life of habituacy? Well, we'll back up. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. This is what the flesh outside the spirit, you just this is how you want to live. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, <clears throat> strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Someone whose life is defined by that. If you take a picture of their life and that's what they, they do all the time, that's who they define them, and they don't care. John says they're a child of the devil. They're not a child of God. In verse 9, here it says, No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. 
We don't make a practice of sinning because the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. If you're a Christian, you have been given the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, it warns you. The Holy Spirit convicts you. The Holy Spirit changes you. It pushes you to confession. It pushes you to repentance. It does all these things on God's behalf because that's what we're, that's what it's there to do. It's what He's there to do. If you don't have that Spirit inside of you convicting you, if you don't have that Spirit inside of you, if you don't bad for the sin that's in your life. If you're not being broken for the sin that's in your life, if you're not changing, if you're not repenting, if you're not focusing on stuff like that, John says that you're not a child of God, but you're a child of the devil. Because you don't care about the things of God. The Holy Spirit will not let sin linger in your life. Verse 10 gives us a strong statement there. It is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Where is John getting this from? You know, if you look back in the Gospel of John, chapter 8, I'm going to read it right here. 39 through 47. They answered to him, Abraham is our father, Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works of Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works that your father did. They said to him, We are not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God. I am here, and I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? Is it because you cannot bear to hear my word? You are, your you are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. Let me read that again. You are, you are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a, mur a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out on his own character for he is a liar and he is the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you don't believe, you do not believe me. Which of you convince me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God and the reason why you do not hear them because you are not of God. John is, is taking what he's saying to these people straight from Jesus' teaching there in John 8. As Jesus looks at the religious leaders and tells them, you know, your father is the devil. He is the father of lies. He has been sinning from the beginning. This is a parallel to what John is writing here. He's using those same similarities. He's telling, those, he's telling the church about those people, you know, they are not... God's children, they are, they are child, children of the devil because they don't practice righteousness. They don't, they're not convicted of their sin. They just want to live any way they want to live, and it's going to be okay. Verse 10 says, it is evident who are the children of God. That word evident right there means, pretty much means obvious. It is obvious. 
By this it is obvious who are the children of God. In their lives, there was clear evidence by the way they pursued righteousness that they were children of God. The evidence that we are children of God is how we pursue Jesus. It's how we pursue righteousness. How we try to be more and more like Him every single day. And it is evident that in the lives of those who desire to constantly sin, to, to continually sin, who that's what their, their heart's desires is that they just, want, they just want to live their own life and don't care about the things of God. They're children of the devil. So, as, as the group comes up, as the band comes up, um, I just got a couple questions today as, in, in closing in here. A um, couple questions is, is what does the evidence of your life say? See, we have to, Paul, I mean, sorry, John has been giving us a lot in these scriptures about, you know, self-examining ourselves, like looking and testing ourselves within the first John, the book of first John here. And so, what evidence through the things that we've been learning about in First John? What does the evidence of your life say? Are you a child of God? Are you a child of the devil? You know, I don't. I don't know people's hearts in here. I don't know people's lives in here. I don't know what everyone's struggling with or what everyone's going through. But God does. He knows your heart. He knows your desires. And maybe for the first time today you've realized that maybe the evidence in your life is pointing another way. That you're not pursuing God. That you're not convicted of the sin that's in your life. That you're not confessing. You're not repenting. You're just, just letting it in. And just saying it. And church is Coming to church is an obligation to you. You know, in, in Matthew chapter 7, it talks about these people who, who've been to church their whole life and these religious leaders that thought they had it all together. And, this, and God says, You know, I'm, I'm sorry. He said, Well, God, we, we've cast out demons in your name. God, we, we prophesied in your name. God, we've done all these things in your name. Jesus is like, Sorry. I don't know. You want to put it in today's terms, it'd be like, God, I went to church. God, I went to Bible study. God, I was involved in a life group. God, I raised my hands during worship. God, I did all these things that I thought was right. But we were not pursuing righteousness in our own lives. We were just looking good at church. The sad reality is, is that you know what? It's not a sad reality. The one thing is, is that you're a child of God. When you die and you face God, God's not going to be that parent of, it's fine when you finally get to heaven. He's not going to have a scowl of disappointment on his face when he sees you. He's going to be happy to see you. He'll be excited to see you. 
because you're his child. Just as you you go away for a little bit and come back to, you know, like you've been at work all day and you've gone on like you had to go on a trip or whatever, you've been away from your kids, and when you come back, your kids are super excited to see you, and you're excited to see them. For the child of God, that's what it's going to be like. But some people in here, I hope God really works on your heart because, I, like I said, I don't know your heart, but He does. And I really hope that you look at the evidence in your life as, as we take this time and we focus and we pray during this um, time of offer call. And I just really hope, my sincere hope is that you really look at your life and hopefully God opens your eyes to see that you're not his child. But I don't know. For all, you know, everyone may be a child of God here. Is that so? Hallelujah. Amen. Let's all board. You know. But take this time and really look at your life and really see what evidence is there. And see if you are, if you can, if you can strongly proclaim, I am a child. 